I was 16 years old. I had just given my life to Christ a year before at the age of 15. In my grandmother's basement, by myself, I knelt beside my bed and I said, Lord, I've heard about you all my life, but today, as a sophomore in high school, I'm choosing to follow you, and so I give my life over to you. It was about a year later that I had read somewhere about the idea of fasting and prayer. I had seen it in the Bible, but I had never practiced it myself, and so I got this idea that I would go off to uh, a hill not too far from my house and that I would spend three days in fasting and prayer. I told my parents, they said, fine. I lived in a little village in northern Spain, and there were some hills surrounding our village, and so I took my tent a bottle of some water and my Bible, and I went to the hill up uh, about a, walked about a mile and a half, two miles, and went to a hill. I set up the tent, and I said, I'm going to spend three days with God. Well, now, how many of you know when you're teenagers, it seems like you can eat and eat, and you're always hungry, and, and like you never gain weight, you just eat and eat. How many of you have teenagers, and you're like, how much can you eat? We just bought groceries. You ate them all? How many of you parents know what I'm talking about? So I was at that phase of high metabolism, uh, 16 years old, and I decided to fast for those three days. And so I got up there. I thought, this is great. I have my Bible. I've never done this before. Set up the tent. I read my Bible for an hour. I prayed for an hour, and I realized I have three more days to go still. I'm only two hours into my three-day journey, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. Uh, the end of the first day, went through the night. I got up in the morning. I was starving. I was like, I think I'm starving to death. I don't know if I can finish this. I read some more Bible. I prayed some more. The second day, I think I'm going into some, um, I don't know, don't you start losing your sight when you're starving? I think I may be losing my sight a little bit. I'm hallucinating a little bit. Anyways, by the third day, I stumbled down that mountain, went into my house like, Mom, I'm starving. I really wasn't, but... It was my first experience at fasting and praying. And over the years, I've tried to develop the cadence and the rhythm, not only into my life, but also into the life of our church of fasting and prayer. And we have seen some incredible, powerful, supernatural, spiritual breakthroughs as we've engaged in the lost art and discipline of fasting and prayer. Most of you here, even if you were raised in a Christian, Bible-believing church, probably did not engage in much fasting and prayer because for, to a large extent, in the evangelical church in America, the idea of fasting was lost for many, many years. Uh, some of you grew up in the tradition of church where you said you were fasting, but you fasted on Fridays before Easter, and that pretty much meant you didn't eat meat, but you overindulged on fish. That's not fasting. That's just changing diets. But if you read the Bible, you'll start to discover that through all, all the Old Testament, there's over and over a call to fasting and prayer. You get in the New Testament, you realize that there's over and over a call to fasting and prayer. 
You see it in the life of Jesus. You see it in the life of the apostles. You see it in the early church. You see it mentioned through uh, the epistles as well. And so I'm going to help you rediscover a habit that has been lost, but one of the habits that brings much power and spiritual strength and energy to individual lives and to the church as well. So I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. There are two places in the Bible in which what we call the Lord's Prayer is mentioned. One of them is Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. And the other is Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. Those are the two places that you'll find what we call the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, some of Jesus' disciples are watching him pray. They're seeing the intensity of his prayer, the familiarity with God. He's praying in a way that they have not ever seen anyone else pray. He's praying with boldness, with confidence, with passion, with intensity. And so after one of these sessions of prayer, one of Jesus' disciples comes up to him and he says, Jesus, teach us to pray. Uh, Just like John the Apostle taught his disciples to pray, would you teach us to pray as well? And then Jesus turns to this disciple in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, and he says, well, pray this way. So some of you were raised praying the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to jump into what it means to pray the pattern of God's prayer. But I want you, first of all, to understand not just the words that are in that prayer, but the pattern that are in that prayer. Matthew chapter 6, if you're in that book of the Bible, uh, Jesus talks to us about three essential practices for every believer. He doesn't say if you do these things. He says when you do these things. Three practices that you'll see. In Matthew chapter 2, he says when you give. He doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. The ethos and the character and the heart of believers is a giving heart, not a taking heart. So we are a people that give. Number two, he says when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. The expectation of followers of Jesus is that we are a praying people. We are a people that connect with God on a regular, consistent basis and that we engage in intercession and prayer. And then thirdly, most people have skipped this and not always understood this, but number three, he says in verse 16, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. In other words, the expectation is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will engage in seasons of fasting and prayer. So as we look at Matthew chapter 6, here's what I want to make really clear as we jump into this 21-day season of fasting and prayer. The purpose of fasting is not penance or sacrifice so that God will pay attention to us because you are sacrificing. There is nothing that you can do to gain the favor of God besides what Jesus did on the cross. 
To look at fasting as penance is to insult the cross of Jesus. Everything that you could ever be, all your righteousness before God has already been bought at the cross of Jesus. Your acceptance before God was paid in full by Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, when he died on the cross and paid a price that you and I cannot pay. So we do not fast out of penance. We do not, we do not fast to say, God, if I sacrifice this, you need to listen to my prayer. We fast in order to intensify our time in prayer so that our physical hunger can remind us that we have something that we need more than food. We need the spiritual presence of God. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to instruct his disciples on how not to pray. Then he tells them how to pray. And then he tells them how to intensify their prayer through fasting. And that's what I'm going to do today as we jump into this passage. So, first of all, let me start with how not to pray. Look what it tells us in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not, say do not. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. So Jesus starts out by telling them how not to pray. In the days of Jesus, there was two groups of people, one called the Pharisees and one called the Sadducees. The Pharisees were a group of religious people that were oftentimes the opposers to Jesus. There was about 6,000 of them that lived in Jerusalem at the time, they were a religious sect that, was, that specialized in interpreting the laws of the Old Testament by which the Jewish people lived by. They were almost akin to attorneys. They were meticulous about the laws of the Old Testament. And, and upon the laws of the Old Testament, they built their own laws to interpret those laws. And so they went around making sure that people did not misstep. They pointed out when people broke the law. They tried to follow the law of the Old Testament themselves. They were very legalistic, very intent on doing everything the right way, but oftentimes very far from God, with no real passion for God, heart for God. They were proud, presumptuous, legalistic, judgmental, and lacked a heart for God. The Sadducees were similar to that, but they uh, butted heads with the Pharisees because they did not believe in the bodily resurrection. And so they had theological differences. So many of the Pharisees, however, they liked to stand up in long flowing robes and pray long, long, long prayers in the synagogue. They also indulged in daily prayers at noon. 
So some scholars believe that the Pharisees would time them being on a street corner at noon, and then when noontime came, they would stand in the street corner for their prayer and have everybody watch them to show that they were religious and fervent. And so they did their praying so that other people could see them. They prayed long prayers in public, and they prayed in places where people could see them. And Jesus said, don't be like that. If you pray mainly so that other people can see you, and if you pray mainly as a speech to other people, then you've already received your reward. He says, when you pray, notice what he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When it says, go into your room, uh, some versions of the Bible say actually go into your closet. Uh, the Jewish people did not have closets like we have closets, but they had storage rooms, places where they kept their treasures. So the idea is there, go into your place where you keep your treasures, close the door, pray in secret, and as you intercede and pray in secret, your Father who is in heaven sees that you are praying to Him not praying so that other people can see you. And that kind of prayer is the most powerful and effective prayer because you are praying for the presence of God and not the presence of other people. Now, he's talking about private prayer. There is a time for corporate prayer as well. There's a time for corporate fasting as well. If you are fasting alone, you should keep it a secret. If it's a corporate fast, we have to announce that everybody's fasting. If it's a corporate time of worship and prayer, then we pray together. So Jesus is talking about private times of fasting and prayer. But then he goes on to say, listen to what he says. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask. So Jesus says, here's two things that you should not do when you pray. Number one. Don't pray as a public performance. <clears throat> Make sure that you're praying to God. The evangelist D.L. Moody asked someone to pray at his meetings in England, and I'm told that he said some guy got up and prayed this long, elaborate, flowery prayer, and he said that was a good prayer if you chop off most of the beginning chop off most of the end, and set the middle on fire, it would have been a good prayer. Have you ever been in a circle praying with people, and it almost feels like it's a speech rather than a prayer? Or a little preaching assignment rather than a prayer? Listen, our prayers need to be directed to God, not towards other people. I've been in places where people have gathered together in a circle to pray, and someone will say, I don't Skip me because I don't know how to pray. What they're saying is, I don't know how to give a speech in prayer. Because all of us know how to pray. Help me, Jesus. That's a prayer. I'm desperate for you, God. That's a prayer. I can't live without you, Lord Jesus. That's a prayer. And sometimes those are the best prayers. The most powerful prayers. So number one, don't pray for other people, pray to God. Number two, 
Don't pray with ritualistic repetition because God does not appreciate babbling on, repeating prayers that you have memorized without any heartfelt conversation. You know, some of you were raised, and again, I like to be, uh, I, I don't like to uh, put down any traditions that are out there, but I like to be biblical in how we follow things. Some of you were raised uh, and taught that the more times you repeated the Our Father, that the more God was pleased with you. Hello? And you actually were given some instruments that count how many times you said it. And so you would do it this way. You'd get up and you would say, Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Gives us day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. That we forgive those who trespass against us. One. Our Father, our Father, in heaven, all the be the name of the kingdom. Come, thy will be done on earth. Two. Our Father, our Father, in heaven, all the be the name of the kingdom. Three. Our Father, out in heaven, all the be the name. And you thought that you were doing something good that God was pleased with that praying. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me tell you what it's like. If I were to go to my wife and I were to say, hey, hon, how you doing today? Uh, you're, I'm so glad I'm married to you. Listen, roses are red, violets are blue, your mother was pretty, but so are you. <laughs> and she were to say, thank you, that's so nice of you to say, man. I, uh, and the next day, I would say, hi, hon, how you doing? Roses are red, violets are blue, your mother was pretty, and so are you. And she would say, you told me that last, uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And then I would say her again, hey, hi, hon. Roses are red, violets are blue, your mother's pretty, and so are you. And I would say, hey, hi, hon. Roses are red, violets are blue, your mother's pretty, and so are you. Roses are red, violets are blue, your mother's pretty, and so are you. Roses are red, violets are blue, your mother's pretty, and so are you. And she would say, stop. <laughs> don't repeat something like that. I don't want to hear that. God feels the same way about repeated prayer that have no heart and emotion and passion. God wants your conversation, not your ritualistic repetition. Now you say, well, pastor, I thought Jesus taught us that we are supposed to pray the Our Father. Jesus did teach us the Our Father found in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11, but Jesus did not tell us, pray this prayer. Jesus said, pray after this pattern or pray after this manner or pray after this kind of prayer. In other words, Jesus gave us a pattern to pray by, not a prayer to repeat. Are you tracking with me here? So, if I were to coach a young person that was just married and they say, I don't know how to be, I don't know how to talk to my wife in a ni nice way. And I say, well, listen, and I would the, just listen on a conversation. And I were to talk to my wife and encourage her. And he were to say, tell me exactly the words that you say. No, I'm, I'm not telling you what to say exactly. I'm just saying, do it this way. Are you tracking with me? Do it this kind of way. Use your own words, but follow this pattern. That's exactly the way that, the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And so when Jesus came to his disciples, he said, pray this way after this matter, after this fashion, after this pattern. And he gave us six key elements in the Lord's Prayer. Some of you 
When we come to praying, you say, Pastor, I want to pray, but after three minutes, I don't have anything else to say. I run out of prayer stuff. You don't have to raise your hand if that happens to you. I'm going to teach you how to pray in such a way that you can spend a half hour and 45 minutes in prayer and look and say, wow, I still have a lot more praying to do. Who wants to learn? Okay. So I'm going to base it on the Lord's Prayer because that's the pattern that Jesus gave us. Jesus taught us to pray through six, six elements in the Lord's Prayer. Position, priorities, provision, People, protection, and praise. Let's start out, and you already know that you don't have to memorize this outline. You already know it if you know the Lord's Prayer. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Raise your hand. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, learn it. (laughs) So we start out by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's break this down. Jesus said, I want you to follow this pattern. You start with, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first part of this Lord's Prayer focuses on position. He's saying what? He's saying our Father. Jesus, by the way, was the first one in the Bible that refers to God as Father. But since then, you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God, so He's not just the Almighty God of the universe. He's not just the Creator of the universe. He is Daddy. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come inside of us, and the Holy Spirit causes us to say, Abba, Father, which means it's the familiar form of Father, which means Daddy. In other words, you're invited to refer to your Heavenly Father in a familiar form, not just as the Almighty God of the universe, but your Father who loves you, who cares about you, who has given birth to you in the spiritual realm, and he is your father. So you start by saying, our father, daddy, who is in heaven. Not my earthly daddy, but my heavenly father, daddy. Hallowed be your name. What does it mean to be hallowed? Hallowed means to be sanctified, set apart. It comes from the word holy. In others, holy is your name. Holy means that there's no other name like your name. So, Daddy, I just want to start by saying good morning, Daddy. You are my father. I love to come before you. I feel the love coming from you. I'm part of your family. I have freedom to come before you because of Jesus. Jesus has made access into your throne room. And I want to just acknowledge that your name is like no other name. You say, well, pastor, what is his name? When the Old Testament, well, some of your Bibles translate his name as Jehovah, which is really a bad translation of it because really a better translation is Yahweh. Yahweh is I am who I am, the God, and it's always oftentimes Yahweh is is placed in conjunction with the description like he's called Yahweh Sidkenu, which means the Lord is my righteousness. He's called Yahweh Imkadesh in the Hebrew, which means Yahweh sanctifies me. 
He's called Yahweh Shalom, which means he is my peace. He's called Yahweh Rapha, which means he's my healer. He's called Yahweh Jireh, which means he's my provider. He's called Yahweh Nisi, which means he's my banner. Let me tell you something. In other words, he is everything that you need. He's your healer, your provider, your provision. He's your sustainer, your filler. He's the one over you. He's your righteousness. He is all that you need. And so I like to start in my morning when I pray. And by the way, I don't know about you. Some people like to pray when they're kneeling. Some people like to sit. I like to walk when I pray. Maybe I'm hyper. I don't know it. But when I pray, I like to walk and I pray out loud. And I walk in my living room when it's nice when the weather's cold outside or in my basement, but I walk outside when, uh, when the weather's nice. The other place I like to pray is my car. How many of you pray in your head and you lose track of what you're praying about? You say, I'm just going to pray in my head, and then you start praying in your head, your phone rings, your Instagram pops up, you're thinking about this, and then you think, where was I? Pray out loud. You say, well, Pastor, if I pray out loud, people are going to think I'm crazy. Pray in your car out loud. I stop at stop lights, and I look over, and there's people like. <laughs> I just think they're playing to their music. So I like to pray out loud, and I, thank you, Jesus, you are good. They just think I'm they just think I'm yelling to the tunes or singing to something else or talking to someone on the cell phone. I'm praying to my Father who's in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise your name. You are good. Yeah, no one's in the car, so I pray out loud. So first of all, you start with your position, and you pray through that, and you thank God for who he is and how he is and that you can come into his presence, and you talk about the name of God and his glorious name. He's everything to you. So that's your position. Secondly... You say, so you've prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's position. Priorities. You say, Thy kingdom, thy will be on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, you got the Lord's prayer down. So now, listen, now what you're doing is you start to pray, Come kingdom of God. What are you praying when you say, Come kingdom of God? A kingdom is a place where the king rules and establishes his authority. The kingdom of heaven is heaven. You are praying that what is manifest in heaven, the culture and the rule of God, that that would come to earth. There is no sickness, envy, sin, death, sadness in his presence. In glory, he is the center of it all. And so you are saying, God, come kingdom of God. Let your kingdom be manifest here on earth. Come, kingdom of God. So I can pray against sickness. I can pray against death. I can pray for peace. I can pray for joy. I can pray that his glory would be manifest. I can pray that heaven would manifest itself here on earth. Now listen, this is important. The kingdom of God is already in seed form here on earth. Because the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Christ, rule of reign of God. Jesus told his disciples, when you see demons cast out in my name, know that the, know that the kingdom of God is among you. Since Jesus came to this earth, he's established a, he's established a pre-manifestation of his kingdom here on earth. Um, we are carriers of the kingdom of God. We, the people of God, are carriers of his kingdom. When you are born again, you are brought into his kingdom. 
Now, as a person of the kingdom, you are carriers of the presence of God. Wherever you go, you carry the presence of King Jesus, and you carry the culture of the kingdom with you. That's why we can pray for people, encourage people. Why? We are carriers of the kingdom of God. Now, one day, God will come, Jesus will come, not as a lamb to be sacrificed, but as a king to reign in power. But until that day, we will pray, come kingdom of God to the earth. Come, Spirit of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying? We are praying a chunk of heaven to come to earth. What does that mean? Well, when I pray, come kingdom of God, this is what I pray. I pray for myself first. I say, Lord, I pray for me. Come kingdom of God to my life. That means that I want my heart and my priorities and my passions to be aligned with God. If there's anything in my life that is, unple- that is not pleasing to the King of Kings, I say eliminate it from my life. I want to walk in your purposes. I want to so- show joy, peace, and righteousness. I want my life to be in align with your Lordship. And then I pray for my marriage and my family. And I say, come kingdom of God to my marriage and my family. I want my marriage to manifest. I pray blessing over my wife. I pray that I can nurture her the right way. That I would be a a man like scripture talks about. Because I want the kingdom of God to come to my marriage. Then I pray for my family. Each one of my kids. Come kingdom of God to their lives. I pray for them. For their marriage. For their life. That they would be walk, walk in Jesus. And that the kingdom of God would come to their life. And they would show the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And then I pray for my church. I pray for us that we would be people of the kingdom of God. I pray for my city. I pray for our nation. Come kingdom of God. May it be manifest among us. I pray against violence in the city of Chicago. I pray that we would be people of the kingdom carrying the good news of Jesus in powerful ways wherever we go and that people would uh, be exposed to the kingdom of God when they're exposed to us. And so I pray concentric circles. Come kingdom of God. Will of God be done. And if I'm walking out of your will in any area of my life, God, I pray that I would come under your will, that I would align myself with the lordship of your kingdom. Come, kingdom of God. Listen, I'm only on phrase two. Are you seeing how you could pray for a while? You're praying the Our Father, but you're praying the pattern of the Our Father. Then the next phrase says, give us this day our daily bread. And some of you say, now you're talking, Pastor, we're talking about food. (laughs) Give me food, Lord. Well, yeah, but it's more than food. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is the staple by which people live by. It's It's the resources that you need. When we pray for our daily bread, we're praying that we would have all the resources that we need to, help, to, to be able to provide for our family, to be able to give, to be able to resource. We're praying for resources. You say, you mean, Pastor, I can pray for my budget, my finances? Yes. Give us this daily, daily bread. God, help me in my job. Help me to be able to, to save. Help me be able to give. Help me be able to prosper in what I do, God. I want to be able to have resources not only for my family, but I want to be overflow so I can give to others. Pray, pray specifically. Pray persistently. 
pray over the resources that you have or the lack of resources that you have and ask that God would put his hand on them. You're praying for resources. Number four, you're praying for people. Position, priorities, provision, now people. And forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What are we praying there? Oh, now it gets personal. Forgive us our trespasses. You're praying, first of all, that you would be forgiven for the sins that you've committed against the holy God. This is taking inventory of your life. God, if I've sinned, if I've, if I've had envy, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my pride, Lord. I've allowed pride to surface. God, I blew up and I said words that I shouldn't have said. I've allowed selfishness to enter into my heart, God. I've allowed greed to possess my soul, Father. Forgive me because I've allowed lust in what I'm watching and, 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 and getting involved in, God. So I pray that you would forgive me. This is a time of confession, a time of searching your soul, a time of looking at your heart and says, is there anything in my heart that I've allowed to sin against a holy God? So forgive me those things. Cleanse me, God. Purify me. And then, God, if I hold anything against anyone in my life, I release them as well. So now you're praying. Anybody that's hurt you? Anybody that's sinned against you? Resentment, unforgiveness, hurt. You know what? If you pray every day, it means, that you're, it means that you're cleaning your heart every day. You know the problem with some of us is that we let our sin linger way too long. You committed a sin. Uh, you know, you, you sin against God in certain ways, and it's a month later that you finally bring it before God. You have resentment or bitterness, and you let it build up, build up, build up. It gets worse. It gets worse. You don't deal with it, and finally you say, no, I don't want to forgive him. I'm going to let him stay there for a while. God wants you to release people immediately, quickly. God wants you to deal with the issues of your heart on a regular basis. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You say, well, pastor, what if I don't want to do that? Well, if you don't want to do that, let me simply say that there is some incentive to do that because right after the Lord's Prayer in verse 14, it says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. What's he saying? What he's saying that if you hold unforgiveness and resentment against someone, then you're walking in a state of sin and unforgiveness, and God can't release you from that which you haven't repented of. In other words, you're walking in unforgiveness, and God says, I will release you into joy when you release others that have sinned against you. That means that if you start praying the Lord's Prayer, then on a regular basis you will be examining your relationships with your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your husband, your kids, your aunts, your uncles, your co-workers, and you'll be not allowing yourself to carry unforgiveness and resentment towards them. Why? Because you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. Now, number five, you pray for protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from whom? From evil. Now you start praying for protection. You start praying, oh God, 
There is a spiritual warfare out there. There is a battle for my soul. There is temptation that comes against me. God, help me stand up against temptation. Help me be aware of it. Lord, I pray that you would uh, destroy the schemes of the enemy to attack me and my household and my family. I pray that I would close the door on that which is not good for me. I pray that I will not engage in stuff that will lead me down the wrong road. I pray that it'll stop behavior that will lead me towards uh, uh, unrighteousness and that will cause me to stray from you. So I pray, God, that you protect me. I put the shield up of faith. I put the helmet of salvation. I engage in spiritual warfare and ask God that you would protect me so that I can walk in victory. You're praying for protection. And then finally, number six, you end with praise. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And so then you go into a time of praise and thanksgiving. Thank you that yours is the kingdom. You are king of all kings. Thank you that you deserve all the glory. I praise you, Jesus, because there's no one like you. Thank you that I'm washed in the blood of Christ. Thank you that you forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Thank you that I'm destined for glory. Bless your name. That's the Lord's prayer. If you pray like that, you'll wake up one day and say, I just spent 40 minutes in prayer. What did you pray? The Lord's Prayer. And you'll realize I'm praying the pattern that Jesus taught me to pray by. This is Jesus-style prayer. Not a methodology that's taught in some seminar, but directly goes back to the way that Jesus prayed. So I want to challenge you to start to pray the way that Jesus prayed. And lastly, this passage leads us into how to intensify our prayer through fasting. And in the next couple of minutes that I have, I want to talk to you about fasting. He goes on and he tells us what in our fasting, verse 16 through 18, he basically says if you're fasting in private, personally, don't fast in such a way that people see that you're fasting and then brag about it. Now, we're in a corporate fast, so people can know you're fasting because we're all fasting together. But if you're fasting privately, what he's telling is that you shouldn't go out and, and people should say, how you doing? <sighs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, are you sick? No, not really. Not really sick. I'm just really tired. Well, well why are you tired? I'm <sighs> fasting. <laughs> oh. He said, if you're fasting, ladies, put on your makeup, comb your hair. I walk around like this. <laughs> Don't draw attention to the fact that you're fasting. Fast so that God listens. Fast so that He knows that you're fasting when you're fasting privately. And the Bible says that God will listen to your fasting and God will pay attention to the fact that you're fasting when you do it for the right motives. And you see, you say, well, pastor, what is fasting? I think one of the better definitions that I've heard of fasting is this. It's the voluntary abstinence from food and or drink for a designated period of time for the purpose of seeking God more intently concerning specific matters. Notice, it's the voluntary, absent, voluntary abstinence from food. Voluntary. You shouldn't be forced to fast. This should be your choice. Secondly, 
You may fast from other things, like you say, well, pastor, you know, I'm not going to do food because I really love food. I'm going to do Netflix. Well, or pastor, you know, I'm, I'm going to do fasting from Facebook. I'm glad. You know, sometimes you spend too much time on Instagram, on Facebook, and those things. And it's okay that you do that, but fasting in the Bible always involves food. Always. Um, so you can... Take other things out of your schedule, but if you're really going to fast the way that God asks you to fast, it should involve food. Why? Because we depend so much on food that when we are abstaining from food, it reminds us throughout the week when we think, I'm hungry. It reminds us to put our direction in God and say, yeah, but I'm hungry after God more than I'm hungry after food, so I'm going to seek Him and press in to follow after God. I like the way that David Platt says it. He says, fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. If you look at the Old Testament, you will see that they often prepared themselves through fasting. We are challenging our congregation to prepare ourselves for this next season through fasting and prayer. For example, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 before Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, a major project, he fasted to prepare himself to get ready for this major project. In Joel chapter 2, the people of God were called to fast and pray. In fact, it says, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people to consecrate themselves. They prepared themselves for spiritual renewal through a season of fasting. Moses fasted 40 days before he received the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 34. Daniel fasted for three weeks before receiving the vision that God had about the future. Elijah fasted for 40 days before receiving a fresh direction in 1 Kings chapter 19 when he was in the cave. The church, the early church fasted in preparation for a new season of church planting and launching out uh, missionaries. Jesus spent 30 years on this earth. We barely know much about those first 30 years, but when he was about to start his public ministry, he fasted for 40 days in preparation for his public three years of ministry. I believe that God is calling us to prepare through fasting and prayer. So I'm going to close by asking you to make three commitments. Number one, commit to 21 days of corporate fasting and prayer. You say, well, what does that mean exactly? Well, it may be a water fast. That is the most intense fast that you have. I would not encourage you to do a water fast for 21 days unless you fasted before because it's very brutal, it's hard, most people can't do it, and so I would not encourage that. I would start lighter, but that is one way of doing it, just water. Number two, you could do a juice fast or a liquid fast, so you just do liquids and juices and no solid food, and I think there's a lot of people that can do that and engage in that kind of fasting. A Daniel fast is a fast that would... Um, moderate how much you eat or what you eat by eliminating meats and sugars and just focusing on vegetables. And that's very challenging for some people, but it reminds you that you're fasting. 
Uh, some people can engage in what we'd be like a spiritual intermittent fasting, where maybe you fast for three days and eat, one, uh, eat on the fourth day, or eat one meal during the day and skip the rest of the two meals. Listen, there's a lot of ways of engaging in fasting, but it has to be in such a way that stretches you, that challenges you, and that it reminds you that you are hungry, and that, that you're missing something that your body normally longs for. I'm asking you to commit to 21 days of some sort of fasting, corporate fasting and prayer. And secondly, I'd like for you to commit to pray solo and corporately. On Tuesdays during our time of fasting and prayer, we're coming together for worship in this auditorium for times of prayer and worship together. But I, if you just fast and you don't pray, you're dieting, not fasting. It's not a fast if you're not praying. The purpose of fasting is to intensify your seeking after God. And then lastly, I'm asking you to commit to seek God for preparation in three ways. Number one, purify my heart and life to be used. I'm asking you to look at your life, examine your life, and say, is there stuff in my life that needs to be out? Are there habits that need to be broken? Is there obedience that needs to be had? Am I walking in purity before you, God? Purify me during this fast, God. Show things in my life that I need to deal with, God. I don't want to leave unresolved, undealt with spiritual issues, God. I want you to purify my soul and my heart as I listen to you and respond to you. Number two, stir up a spiritual hunger for God and his word. Can I tell you something? Some of us, you may have lost your spiritual hunger for God and His Word. I can tell when someone's into something because they want to spend time with it. The guy gets a new girlfriend, and he's just, hey, my new girlfriend, talking about my new girlfriend. He, you know, he sees her walk, goes out with her, and then drops her off, and five minutes later calls her up. Hey, how you doing, honey? It feels like it's been so long. Hey, what's it only been five minutes? You dropped me off. I know, but I, I just want to hear your voice. Can I tell you something? I want you to have that kind of hunger for God. I just want to hear your voice. I want to get into the Word. I want to get up in the morning and read. I want to worship God. I can't wait to get to the people of God and pray. I'm hungry and thirsty to hear from God. I want to be in God's presence. I'm hungry for His Word. I want to get into His Word and learn and grow. I want my spiritual hunger to escalate as I pursue and chase after God. And number three, a renewed passion to live on mission with God. So I'm asking you to commit to 21 days. I'm asking you to commit to prayer. And I'm asking you to commit that God would use this fasting and prayer time to prepare you spiritually to be at another level spiritually than where you're at today.